and welcome to a new mini-episode of Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This shorter, more off-the-cuff format allows you to hear our quick takes on breaking news. So there's been ongoing news in both houses of Congress, and, well, here we go. The first is the House with the ever-so-spineless leader, McCarthy, maintaining his position as the, as the captain of the merry band of, well, QAnon people. And by QAnon people, I mean a bunch of QAnon people, Trumpists and conspiracy theorists and pretty much the people who don't want running the United States government but are here because of gerrymandering, populism, and all sorts of issues that we don't really have time to go into now because we have to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't know if you guys knew about this, but apparently we Jews have space lasers that we shoot down to cause the California wildfires because we can get insurance money or something like that. And we also have some sort of plan to bring over illegal immigrants and gay people and black people and Muslims and all sorts of people who threaten white America and try to take over the country. And if you didn't know any of this, you don't know the truth behind QAnon, the greatest conspiracy theory since 9-11 trutherism, which coincidentally are both things Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in. Elected in 2020 from the 14th district in Georgia, she has caused quite the stir, and uh, yeah, the House voted to expel her of our committee assignments. Not expel her from the House, but from just her committee assignments, because McCarthy didn't do that. So, oh yeah, and the vote included 11 uh, Republicans, not including Liz Cheney, but including Adam Kissinger and Fred Upton, and a few of those who did vote for the impeachment of Donald Trump. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a messy situation. The Democrats, uh, I must say, did the right thing, because how does somebody who believed that the Parkland shooting was uh, fake news sit on the education committee? How can she be expected to have any you know, real responsibilities if she believes in such crazy theories? Now, on the House floor, uh, the day they voted to strip her of her assignments, she did renounce her beliefs in QAnon conspiracy theories. But truth be told, if she was genuine about it. She would have renounced these opinions a long, long time ago, and not when it was politically convenient to save her political career. And, you know, they're making these comparisons to uh, between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Omar, and they're just so different because I don't like Omar, but she doesn't actively promote these QAnon conspiracy theories like Marjorie Taylor Greene does. Right. There's a few counter arguments against the vote. And one of them was, like you said, Ohana Mars comments anti-Semitism. Democrats didn't do it, didn't do much, but Here's the thing. I do not believe Ahana Mar is anti-Semitic in her heart. I believe that she just didn't have a lot of connection with the Jewish community. She wasn't really raised around Jews. If she wants to be educated on the Jewish community, great. I just said Joshua. I don't believe, I don't believe in uh, a lot of things she says. I don't, and I found a lot of her comments very disturbing. But you know, I, I don't believe she is as fervent in her, in her anti-Semitism or general as Marjorie Taylor Greene is. If you think it was someone like Steve King from Iowa, who Republicans did kick off their committee assign his committee assignments, and he was eventually defeated at a primary. The thing with that is that he, uh, he always had comments about white nationalism, but then he started really talking about white nationalism. And I don't remember what he said, but it was, it was just something completely heinous. And he was, and he was rightfully kicked off. Marjorie Taylor Greene has repeated multiple just heinous, heinous lies, and it is yeah right. School shootings don't exist. Nine eleven didn't happen. I mean, they executing prominent Democrats, harassing David Hogg. I mean, it doesn't matter if she did it inside or outside of Congress. 
But but the Republican just it really goes to show what the Republican Party is becoming when rather than denouncing Marjorie Taylor Greene's conspiracy theories, you know, they're promoting her. They're putting her on the edge education committee when she's explicitly called the Parkland shooting a hoax. And there's video footage of her going after a Parkland shooting survivor. It's just so disappointing. And it really reflects the state of the country. In the 90s, if you went into a bar and saw somebody say the exact things Marjorie Taylor Greene would have said, you would have been like, oh, haha, that's a crazy person. But nowadays, it's starting to reflect far-right Republican ideas. And you're right. This does speak to the Republican Party as a whole. It's that the Republican Party doesn't have a backbone, doesn't have a, a clear ideological base. I mean, they were they always had a big tent, like a like a fairly large like big tent party, like which got them elected in the 90s and 2000s. But this party is split. I mean, Tim Tim Miller of the Bulwark, he basically labeled the House as such. You have you have the Trump people and the QAnon people. All in one little group, like the Jim Jordans, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts, the Devin Nunes, the Matt Gates. You have the principal, the actual conservatives that resemble anything conservative, like the Liz Cheney's, the Adam Kinzinger's, and the Fred Upton's. The, and then you have the largest group, the people who are too scared to do anything, like the majority of, of the House Republican caucus. Yeah, they only care about re-election. That's yeah, all they want to accomplish. Alone shadow. Yeah. By the way. Remember we were talking about Liz Cheney and how she was facing a vote or something, a vote, a vote uh, at her position. Well, that vote happened and she won. She, I think only she 61 voted against her. Yeah. And by the way, it was a secret ballot. So if it was an open ballot. Maybe things would have been either closer or would have turned out differently. But in any case, this party is broken and Kevin McCarthy is not the right person to lead it. And I'm sorry I'm repeating myself, but dear God. These people need to be fired through the democratic means. That's how you really quash populist opportunism. It's how you squash these fakers and these well, spineless people. About, I'd be cautious about that because remember that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and many of the Republicans that we see are making outlandish statements, they are representative of Americans, of American citizens. And removing them for democratic means, the truth is that these politicians are more than just politicians. They're representatives of certain American people that think like they do. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's, it's we have, you know, it's well, you can run primary elections against them. You can, there's primary elections. Can, there's uh, there's Democratic is, opponents. There's, I mean, right. again, this is not a defense of the Democratic Party by any means. This is basically saying one party is completely abandoned any sense of governing, any sense of uh, coherent ideology, any sense of a spine or a, a moralistic backbone. And, it's and the other party stumbling in the dark, so it seems. I mean, and the other party as well, 10 call pile up of interest of competing interests, but this is about the Republican Party and the Republican Party is, I mean, it's functionally dead. The the structure of the party, the actual institutions, it's all Trump, it's all Trump people now. And this party, I honestly believe that either Trump should go off and split his own party, bring his people with him, take the supposedly 60 something percent of Republicans that would go along with it to his new party, or the Kissingers and the Cheneys and the Romneys and the Collins and the Murkowskis, they go off and do their own thing. And they try to build a party up from the ground up about, you know, actual conservative ideals and actually be free to do what they wanted. I should be free to, well, you either know. Way, either way, Democrats are going to win big if that happens. If they split into two different parties between real conservatives and Trumpists. Democrats are going to win election after election if that's the case. Well, I say tough luck. This is what the Republican Party deserves for allowing this metastasizing cancer to take over the entire body. I don't like one party control, but 
the only the counter argument I will say to that is that if something like this happens where there's two parties split off, where there's three parties instead of two, probably someone like Joe Manchin or you know a lot of these very very conservative Democrats will have the opportunity to really make a break for it and really um, stick their claim and really get what they want. I would not be as concerned as a lot of our people would about about a, demo, a complete democratic control goes completely to a Green New Deal, America for all, because that's just not how, I, I simply do not see that working. Well, I mean, most Democrats are moderates, right? Not, you know, really the reality is not as many Democrats support the Green New Deal as people may think. I definitely agree with that. But it's just a question of sooner or later, the Democrat party will, I mean, it's already facing an existential crisis, but it can't just kick the can down the road forever. It's going to have to choose between being either more progressive or being more moderate slash conservative. And then they'll and probably the split is, up. If they want to win elections, you just have to stay closer to the middle. That's how election, that's how the most successful politicians become presidents. Well, there's the thing. The primaries don't, don't really encourage that. We have very, very uh, close primaries a lot of times in this country. And it really goes towards whoever can really rile up the base in the Republican and Democrat. That's how Trump won. That's how Bernie almost won. And whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, thing for your particular issues, it's not good for democracy. It's not good when, you know, centrists and independents are squeezed out. And that's why, that's why we need to have, you know, open jungle primaries like Alaska does, where all the, all the candidates are there and they get ranked them. And then the final four or something go to the general. And then that's why ranked choice voting. That's why all these new, all these, you know, nonpartisan commissions to draw, you know, the district lines. That's why we need to have these massive electoral reforms because it, it, we should be stopping these, these populist fear mongers from gaining ground. And we need to stop another Marjorie Taylor Greene situation. We need to stop another Donald Trump situation. And hopefully we'll be able to stop the next, you know, next, you know populist, you know, on the, on the left, on the far, on the very far left. Just a referendum on the extreme right. It's a matter of how do we deal with extremism in general? How do we ensure that we have level-headed people in office and in our Congress and in our government? But the lessons that we learned from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump, people who have been able to rile up, you know, people that have felt marginalized for years, we need to learn from that. We need to learn how to, you know, represent the American people without going to extremism. I mean, it's a push control between actual politics and policy. Right now, a lot of the loudest voices in the Democratic Party are thinking it's more really policy or bust. A lot of people in the, a lot of people in the far right thinks it's politics or bust. The answer somewhere is obviously somewhere in the middle. And that needs to take hold in really the influencers of today's politics. And that's why someone like, say, Mitt Romney really get it. And speaking of Mitt Romney, you know, switching gears here, he put out this uh, amendment to the stimulus package. And I don't know if it's going to survive. I don't know what's going to happen to it. It's something just interesting to discuss. And it's called the Family Security Act. It's literally a check depositing people's bank accounts determined upon the age of their child and they have a social security number and... It sounds interesting. It's uh, it's uh, four thousand two hundred dollar annually per child up to, up to the age of six, and then uh, three thousand annually for for every child age uh, six to seventeen. And um, the the payments would go for for a year during a uh, during an emergency like a pandemic. And so Romney is hoping to pay for this plan through basically cutting a lot of the existing welfare welfare programs and uh, some of the tax credits that that really uh, help a lot of working families with children. And so he's pitching this as like a necessary overdue reform 
how to how we end child poverty in this country. And some think tanks, both on the left and right, are saying this actually could help cut child poverty and and could be def- deficit neutral, could actually you know not cost anything in the long run. I mean, imagine what it would be like if the Republican Party was like Mitt Romney rather than rather than like Rand Paul, easily be bipartisan reform for benefits. And, you know, it's just so sad, you know, I, I admire Mitt Romney for not following, you know, for not following the peer pressure from his, you know, colleagues in the Senate, and to actually advocate for real reform. But at the same time, he's also, you know, still being conservative, right? Because this is a classic conservative plan, cutting programs for other financial programs to fund this amendment to remain fiscally conservative. So, you know, it's just a shame. I'm not. I'm not sure wh- how far this will go, though. When it was announced, uh, uh, Senators uh, Rubio and Lee, they both said that the plan is, you know, it's BS and it's just uh, plain universal basic income, which they oppose. And some other conser- conservative think tanks are thinking that this will discourage parents from finding work, from actually working. And and some and some Democrats, the, the, the cuts to uh, the tax credits and uh, deductions and the, some of the other family. Um, Welfare programs are necessary, but you know I, I agree. This is a good. This is a interesting idea. This is a you know it's a good stretch towards um, you know moderate you know center right governance. But you know, it just there's nobody there with him to keep it going. Right. I mean, to keep the moderate center right, you know, going. Yeah. There's yeah. Right. There is not. I mean, Heather Cox Richardson in her uh, daily letter she wrote that the, this was this more harkens back to not 2012 Mitt Romney where he was like running for like the conservative like mainstream conservative. Republican nomination of the, for president, but he was, but you know, like uh, Massachusetts governor Mitt Romney, like in the two thousands, where he really got a lot of universal health coverage in the state through very, very moderate conservative means. You're right. This could fail. This could completely blow up in his face. This could just not go anywhere. This could get incorporated or some. This could be like radically changed under a Democratic control. But this is a good sign. This is still a good sign that at least someone in the Republican Party is actually doing something. Yeah, I don't think we've heard yet from Collins or from Sass or from other, you know, Republican senators who could be moderate, right? But uh, we'll see. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on social media and join the ongoing conversation on our Discord server.